This is a Reconstructionist Radio production. Please visit GaryNorth.com forward slash free books to download this book as a PDF. Through New Eyes Developing a Biblical View of the World James B. Jordan Copyright 1988 Published by Wolgamoth and Hyatt Brentwood, Tennessee Glorious things of thee are spoken Zion, city of our God he whose word cannot be broken, formed thee for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose? With salvation's wall surrounded, thou mayest smile at all thy foes. John Newton 6. Rocks, Gold, and Gems I have seldom lived in large cities, and thus have not often been privileged to visit museums. I recall my frustration on one occasion, however, when I visited an exhibit of precious gemstones, I did not get to see very much of it because the room was so crowded with people peering through the glass at these pieces of rock. In another room, there was an exhibit of rocks that glowed with peculiar colors under ultraviolet light. One had to stand in front of a window to see these, and again, it was difficult to work one's way through the crowd. I don't suppose my experience is particularly unique or worth recounting, except that it is a telling example of the fact that people, for some reason, like to look at certain pieces of rock. The Bible has a lot to say about stones and rocks, and more than we might think about gold, gems, and precious stones. These are given as emblems of God in His glory, and since men are made in God's image, they also speak of men. The Rock of Ages The best way to begin a study of this is to look at God, the rock of our salvation, the key passage to begin with is Deuteronomy 32, which might be called the Song of the Rock, though it is usually called the Song of Moses because Moses wrote it. You remember that when Israel came out of Egypt, the Israelites were thirsty, and God told Moses to strike the rock to give them water. God's cloud sat upon the rock, and when Moses brought the rod of judgment down on the rock, it passed through the cloud. In this way, God told the people that he would take upon himself the judgment that they deserved and that when he did so, living water would be given to them. Thus, God told them that he was their rock, and that he would give them water. Exodus 17, verse 2-6 Naturally, when God the rock made covenant with Israel, he wrote it on the stone. Exodus 24, verse 12 For years after that, Israel wandered into the wilderness. This wilderness was full of rocks and huge stones. They were all around Israel as she traveled, and they surrounded the people as they gathered to Moses to hear the song of Deuteronomy 32. I proclaim the name of the Lord, ascribe greatness to our God. The rock, his work is perfect, for all his ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is he. Deuteronomy 32, verse 3 through 4. In other words, God is constant and unfailing to his people, like a rock. God does not change from day to day, from time to time. But Jeshurun grew fat and kicked. You are grown fat, thick, and sleek. Then he forsook God who made him, and scorned the rock of his salvation. They made him jealous with strange gods, with abominations they provoked him to anger. You neglected the rock who begot you, and forgot the God who gave you birth. Deuteronomy 32, verse 15 through 16, 18. Moses told them that God would forsake them if they turned to other rocks. How could one chase a thousand, and two put ten thousand to flight? 
unless their rock had sold them, and the Lord had given them up. Indeed, their rock is not like our rock. Even our enemies themselves judge this. Deuteronomy 32, verse 30 through 31. The gods of other nations are like little rocks without much to them. Israel would be foolish to forsake the true rock, because in time God would destroy these pebbles. And he will say, Where are their gods, the rock in which they sought refuge? Deuteronomy 32, verse 37. When Samuel was born, his mother Hannah celebrated God as her rock. There is no one holy like the Lord. Indeed, there is no one besides thee, nor is there any rock like our God. 1 Samuel 2, verse 2. David also celebrated God as his rock. The Lord is my rock and my fortress, and my deliverer, my God, my rock in whom I take refuge. For who is God besides the Lord, and who is a rock besides our God? The Lord lives, and blessed be my rock, and exalted be God, the rock of my salvation. Second Samuel 22, verse 2 through 3, 32, 47. Second Samuel 23, verse 1 through 5. The Psalter abounds in references to God as our rock. To thee, O Lord, I call, my rock, do not be deaf to me. Psalm 28, verse 1. Incline thine ear to me, rescue me quickly. Be thou to me a rock of strength, a stronghold to save me. For thou art my rock and my fortress. Psalm 31, verse 2 through 3. I will say to God, my rock, why hast thou forgotten me? Why do I go mourning? Psalm 42, verse 9. O come, let us sing for joy to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 95, verse 1, also 61, verse 2, 62, verse 7, 71, verse 3, 89, verse 26, 92, verse 15, 94, verse 22. Isaiah also delights to call God the rock of Israel. For you have forgotten the God of your salvation, and have not remembered the rock of your refuge. Isaiah 17, verse 10. Trust in the Lord forever, for in God the Lord we have an everlasting rock. Isaiah 26, verse 4, 30, verse 29, 44, verse 8. We can summarize what the Bible says about God as our rock by taking note of five things. First, the rock points to strength. A rock is hard and firm, and if it is a large rock, it is pretty much unbreakable. Second, God presents himself as a rock to hide in a fortress. God put Moses in the cleft of a rock to protect him from God's consuming glory. Exodus 33, verse 22. And since this rock is said to be a place next to me, commentators have often associated it with Jesus Christ, our protector. Third, God as a rock points to judgment. If a large rock falls on you, you are crushed, and just such a judging rock is God. Jesus called himself the stone which the builders rejected, and said that everyone who falls on that stone will be broken to pieces, but on whomever it falls, it will scatter him like dust. Luke 20. Verse 17 through 18. Falling on the stone and being broken is an image of salvation, but the stone falling on you is an image of judgment. Along these lines, we remember that the prescribed method of execution in the Bible was by stoning. Deuteronomy 13, verse 10, etc. Daniel's vision of the world history saw the kingdom of Christ as a stone cut without hands that would strike and shatter the kingdoms of the world. Daniel 2. In an ambiguous passage, the saints are said to rejoice when they dash the children of Babylon against the rock. Psalm 137, verse 9. But in the light of Luke 20, verse 18, does this point to destruction? 
or salvation, since the Church has always seen the waters of baptism as waters of judgment unto salvation, baptismal fonts have often been made of stone. Fourth, God is our rock as the foundation of his house, his kingdom. The wise man builds his house on the rock. Matthew 7, verse 24 through 25. Christ is chief cornerstone, and we are all living stones. Ephesians 2, verse 20, 1 Peter 2, verse 6. Fifth, a mighty rock gives shade, a picture of God's provision and protection. We have seen that God's glory cloud gave shade to Israel in the wilderness. Isaiah 4, verse 6, 25, verse 4. A large shade-giving rock is like this cloud, in shape and function. God's people, as his images, are also like rocks. God is a great rock, and we are all little rocks. We have already mentioned how we as living stones are built on God as our foundation, his living temple. Isaiah 32, verse 2, speaks of how Christians minister to one another as rocks. Each will be like a refuge from the wind and a shelter from the storm, like streams of water in a dry country, like the shade of a huge rock in a parched land. The best-known passage that speaks of this is Matthew 16, verse 18. And I say to you that you are Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church. The name Peter means rock, but it is not the same as the word for the rock upon which Christ built his church. That second word means great rock, or bedrock, foundation. Thus, Peter is a little rock, a chip off the true rock, as it were. The Stones of Havilah The first stones mentioned in the Bible are those of Havilah, a land downstream from Eden. Now a river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, then from there it divided and became four rivers. The name of the first is Gishon, it flows around the whole land of Havilah, where there is gold, and the gold of the land is good. The Delium and the Onyx stone are there. Genesis 2, verse 10-12 through 12. Eden is a land of food, and the outlying lands are lands of other raw materials. The Bible conceives of commerce between these lands so that those of Adam's descendants who lived in Eden would have to engage in trade with those who have moved downstream to Havilah. In this way, precious stones would be brought from Havilah back to Eden to adorn the sanctuary. When Israel came out of Egypt, she sojourned in the land of Havilah, while the tabernacle and the high priest garments were made. Genesis 25, verse 18 Here in this land of rocks were made many items of gold and onyx. Indeed, the only reference in the Bible to the onyx stone outside of Genesis 2 is in connection with the high priest garments. The shoulder stones of the ephod were made of onyx and had the names of the twelve tribes put upon them. Exodus 25, verse 7, 28, verse 9 through 12. No one knows what Delium is supposed to be. The only other reference to it in the Bible is Numbers 11, verse 7, where we are told that the manna was the color of Delium. Since manna was white, Exodus 16, verse 31, the Delium was also white. Notice that Israel only ate manna while she was in the wilderness of Havilah, the land of Delium. Gold is much more familiar to us more than any other metals. Gold and silver show forth the glory of God. In every time, in every clime, in every land and nation, gold and silver come to be regarded as valuable. There are two points to be made concerning this. First of all, gold and silver, especially gold, are heavy. The Hebrew word for glory literally means heavy. A few years ago, in American slang, anything that was impressive was heavy. And this reflects a sound linguistic instinct. Part of the attractiveness and glory of gold, then, lies in its weight. 
Second, not only is gold heavy, it is also radiant and shining. God's glory appears as flaming fire and a burning furnace, and gold, more than any other mineral, ties into the human tendency to appreciate this glory. The walls of the tabernacle and the temple were both lined with gold, creating a golden glory environment all around. Similarly, the fiery tree of lampstand on the tabernacle, an abiding replica of the burning bush, was made of gold, as were many other items. Stones of Fire Let us turn our attention now to precious stones. They are, after all, the glory stones. We enjoy looking at them in coffee table books. We make jewelry out of them. We pay high prices for them, not because they are rare, after all, many other minerals are much rarer, but because they are beautiful and thus highly prized. In Ezekiel 28, verse 13 through 14, we find a description of the king of Tyre. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering, the ruby, the topaz, and the diamond, the beryl, the onyx, and the jasper, the lapis lazuli, the turquoise, and the emerald, and the gold, the workmanship of your settings and sockets, was in you. On the day that you were created, they were prepared. You were the anointed cherub who covers, and I placed you. You were on the holy mountain of God. You walked in the midst of the stones of fire. Some commentators have suggested that the king of Tyre is Lucifer because he is called the cherub, and others have pointed to Adam because of Eden. In light of the context, however, we should see this king of Tyre as the high priest of Israel. Israel was the true head of the nations, spiritually speaking. Genesis 12, verse 3. Deuteronomy 28, verse 13. Tyre had been allied spiritually with Israel in David's time, and thus had recognized the high priest as her ultimate earthly spiritual leader. Indeed, Tyre had helped build the temple. 2 Samuel 5, verse 11 through 12. 1 Kings 5, verse 1 through 18. 9, verse 10 through 14. 2 Chronicles 8, verse 2. Psalm 45, verse 12. Tyre, living downstream from Eden in Havilah, assisted Solomon in getting gold for the temple, 1 Kings 9, verse 26-28. Tyre had provided these Havilah raw materials in exchange for table provisions from the Edenic food land of Israel, thus providing a snapshot of how the priestly nation was to interact with other converted nations, 1 Kings 5, verse 9-12. Now, however, Tyre had broken faith, and thus the Lord made a long prophecy against her and her prince, Ezekiel 26-28. This apostasy did not occur in a vacuum, however. As Ezekiel had already shown at length, Ezekiel 1-23, it was Israel's apostasy that had misled the nations. It was the high priest, the spiritual king of Tyre, whose sin had ultimately caused the prince of Tyre to go astray. Now with this background, we can understand better the imagery of Ezekiel 28, verse 13 through 14. Eden, the garden of God, is the land of Israel, and most particularly Jerusalem. Ezekiel 31, verse 8 through 9, 16, 36, verse 35. The covering of precious stones is the breastpiece of the high priest. Described in Exodus 28, verse 15 through 21, the high priest was the cherubic guardian of the temple, and his failure to maintain God's holiness had led both Israel and her ally Tyre into sin. The holy mountain is Mount Moriah, the temple site. We notice that the gemstones are called stones of fire, verses 14 and 16. This is because these stones house fire. If you have a diamond ring, hold it up. Notice the fire within. Each of these stones is a tiny image of God's glory. His fire. 
The high priest, whose chest was covered with such fiery stones, thus had his own personal glory cloud, an image of God's. It is because gemstones so poignantly reflect God's glory that we regard them as beautiful. It is written on the heart of man to appreciate glory, and it takes a great act of the will to pervert this attraction. We delight in a beautiful sunset, in the sound of rushing water, and in gemstones, because each of these images the very glory of God himself. Fallen man may not want God, but he does not want God's glory. Not only can we see gemstones as frozen pieces of glory, but we can also see them as frozen pieces of the rainbow. The rainbow is, of course, a manifestation of glory, being made of light in all colors. It appears in the heavens like the glory of God, and the Bible shows it encircling God's throne. The rainbow first appears in the familiar passage, Genesis 9, verse 12 through 16, where God put his war bow in the sky and said, When the bow is in the cloud, then I will look upon it, to remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on earth. Genesis 9, verse 16. It is nice for us to look at rainbows and be reminded that God will never again destroy the earth with the flood, but it is far more important for God to be reminded when he sees it. Of course, God does not need to be reminded of anything, but he has chosen to do things this way for our comfort. But does God only see this rainbow when it rains? No, because God is always surrounded by his glory cloud, and thus he always sees the rainbow. When Ezekiel saw God's glory chariot, he wrote that, as the appearance of the rainbow in the clouds on a rainy day, so was the appearance of the surrounding radiance. Such was the appearance of the likeness of the glory of God. Ezekiel 1, verse 28. Similarly, when John stood before God's throne, he saw that there was a rainbow around the throne, like an emerald in appearance. Revelation 4, verse 3. John compared the rainbow to a gemstone. Finally, in Revelation 10, verse 1, John had a vision of the exalted Christ and described him as another strong angel coming down out of heaven, clothed with a cloud, and the rainbow was upon his head, and his face was like the sun, and his legs like pillars of fire. The rainbow around his head means that Christ looks through it to see the world, always reminded of the Noahic covenant. The rainbow encircles God's throne, but so too do the gemstones. In Revelation 21, we have a vision of the new Jerusalem, the city built around God's throne, Revelation 22, verse 1. Jerusalem is an architectural replica of God's glory home. The foundation stones of the city wall were adorned with every kind of precious stone. The first foundation stone was jasper, the second, sapphire, the third, chalcedony, the fourth, emerald, the fifth, sardonyx, the sixth, sardius, the seventh, chrysolite, the eighth, beryl, the ninth, topaz, the tenth, chrysophrase, the eleventh, jacinth, the twelfth, amethyst, and the twelve gates were twelve pearls. Each one of the gates was a single pearl. In other words, the city was encircled with gemstones, stones of the land for Israel, and pearls from the sea for Gentiles. These foundation stones have already been associated with the names of the apostles. Revelation 21, verse 14. Just as a high priest's twelve stones had written on them the twelve tribes of Israel, thus these stones represent people. See also Isaiah 54, verse 11 through 12. We are God's house of gemstones. The righteous people in the church are likened to gemstones by Paul in a famous temple passage. 
According to the grace of God which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I laid a foundation, and another is building upon it. But let each man be careful how he builds upon it. For no man can lay a foundation other than the one which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Now if any man builds upon the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, each man's work will become evident, for the day will show it, because it is revealed with fire. 1 Corinthians 3, verse 10-13 through 13. Paul is writing to pastors who will continue building the house whose foundation he has already laid. Paul says that the church is built up of saints who are like gold, silver, and gemstones, but also includes Satan's agents who are like wood, hay, and stubble. God puts the wicked into the church so that they may catch on fire and turn the church into a refining furnace to purify his people. Conclusion God does not want ugly brown stones adorning the walls of his house. He wants lovely, pure stones, glorious stones of fire, chips of frozen rainbow. He wants a people of peace, a rainbow people, who respect the Noahic covenant and thus love his world and will not destroy it. Christians are the rainbow warbow of the Prince of Peace, bringing the peace to the world of humanity in the gospel. But also, the fact that the high priest carried the gemstones on his heart means that we as God's gemstones are always next to the heart of Christ. We may feel like ugly gray rocks that have been cast aside, but we know in faith that God carries us on his heart, and we are of infinite value to him. Fulfilled is all that David told, in true prophetic song of old, how God the nation's king should be, for God is reigning from the tree. O tree of beauty, tree most fair, ordain those holy limbs to bear. Gone is thy shame, each crimson bow, Proclaims the King of glory now. Blessed tree, whose chosen branches bore The wealth that did the whole world restore, The price of humankind to pay, And spoil the spoiler of his prey. O cross, our one reliance hell, Still may thy power with us avail, More good for righteous souls to win, And save the sinner from his sin. Venantius Fortunatus, 1 through 3, and Anonymous. Translation, the Episcopal Hymnal, 1940. The Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network brings to you a complete lineup of podcasts where you will hear practical and tactical theology. Our desire is not simply that you consume our shows, but that you also live out your faith in every area of life. We can talk all day long about these things, but if we fail to put them into practice, then we fail as ambassadors of Jesus Christ, our King. Subscribe now to your favorite Reconstructionist Radio Podcast Network shows, or you can subscribe to the Reconstructionist Radio Master Feed, where all of the content we produce, including the audiobooks and audio articles, will pop up as soon as they are available. And don't forget to visit reconstructionistradio.com to volunteer as a narrator or to partner with this ministry financially. May the Holy Spirit stir you into action for Christ and His kingdom.